For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, today was supposed to be Major League Baseball's opening day. And this weekend, we were supposed to be getting deeper into Pac-12 conference play in baseball. Not talking about either of those things now. Instead, we're talking about what could have been and still a lot of unknowns around baseball. Baseball taking center stage on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for being here with us Thursday, March 26th, 2020. Hope it's been a good one for you so far. and hope we can do what we can to make it even better for you. I'm in Detroit Clarity. Thanks for checking us out. And thank you for doing your part to stay healthy and make sure that we uh, get, back to, uh, get back to where we need to be. Really looking forward to chatting with our guest, our special guest on this week's episode. You've seen him on ESPN and the SEC Network calling college baseball games, calling a Little League World Series games out in Williamsport. But I remember seeing him back at Sunken Diamond back in the day. One of my favorite athletes uh, from my era at Stanford, and I'm really fired up to be talking to him. Kyle Peterson is uh, going to be joining us here in a few minutes or so. Looking forward to getting his thoughts on college baseball, not just with Stanford. I'm sure he has thoughts there. Of course, he is a two-time All-American pitcher uh, for the Cardinal during his uh, fantastic reign uh, back in the mid-'90s as the Friday night starter uh, for the Cardinal back in the day. But also panning the the, the camera and and getting a wider shot here as uh, we take a look at college baseball as a whole. So certainly a lot of things to discuss uh, with Kyle Peterson. That chat coming up in just a couple of minutes or so. Plus, I've got three things that you need to know about Stanford Athletics at this exact point in time. Don't forget, give me the follow on Twitter, at Troy Clarity, at Troy Clarity. The last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. Always appreciate the follow. Uh, You've got thoughts on the show. You've got thoughts on Stanford Athletics. I certainly welcome them as well. Hashtag TreeCast. That's by far the best way to ensure uh, that I see your thoughts. Hashtag TreeCast. Hit me up there. Uh, Check out uh, the Believe Podcast Network. Give them a follow as well. uh, Believe.com and on Twitter at Believe at B-L-E-A-V. A A lot of great shows, not just sports specific, although that certainly is the bread and butter of the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, Not just team specific, but but all sorts of other uh, amazing subjects uh, that uh, the Believe Podcast Network is uh, really starting to pump out there, uh, especially in this day and age where uh, podcasts are taking more and more and more of uh, center stage when it comes to uh, people consuming media. Kind of on that note, you want to advertise for the TreeCast? Certainly wouldn't be mad at that. Check them out, BLEAV.com. A lot of captive audiences these days for advertisers. I'm just saying. Just saying. Kyle Peterson coming up in a couple of minutes, but as we normally do, 
during the TreeCast. We give you three things you need to know. I mean, look, obviously we're a Stanford football-heavy podcast, and we'll probably get back to Stanford football a bit more um, in the weeks ahead. Looking forward to bringing you a few interviews um, in, in, those, uh, in, in those endeavors. But, you know, we are still going to give you three things you need to know, not necessarily about Stanford football, but about Stanford athletics right now. We call it three things. And as usual, we start with number one. And we're going to be congratulating some folks on three things this week. Let's start with our first person to congratulate, Lindy LaRock, Stanford women's basketball assistant coach. Nope, she's going to need to get new business cards and call some moving companies and all sorts of things because she is now the new head coach of UNLV women's basketball. Congratulations to her. Uh, finished up her third season on the farm as an assistant coach under Tara Vanderveer. Uh, boy, still... Yeah, I still can't can't help but think about what uh, what the season could have been for Stanford women's hoops if a couple of injuries had gone in uh, different directions, if they'd been able to stay completely healthy and have all hands on deck uh, throughout the season. But it's a homecoming for Lindy, as uh, she's originally from Las Vegas, uh, the first Las Vegas uh, area player to come back and be the head coach for UNLV women's hoops. And, of course, you might remember Lindy when she was a player for Stanford back in her day. Went to four Final Fours from 2009 to 2012. She got her degree in science, technology, and society, but her emphasis was in Earth systems, civil and environmental engineering, and calculus. You know what my major was at Stanford? NHL 95. And my emphasis was the Chicago Blackhawks. Jeremy Roenick was a bad, bad man. But uh, the Tara Vandervira coaching tree continues to grow branches. Uh, good to see it uh, sprout out uh, to the 702 area code. And, of course, I'm sure a lot of folks will be keeping an eye on what Lindy LaRock does for the running Rebels. More people to congratulate, which brings us to number I don't think any Stanford student athlete had a better winter than Shane Griffith. Who's Shane, you might ask? Well, now he is the Pac-12 Wrestler of the Year and Pac-12 Newcomer of the Year. That was just announced earlier on Thursday. And Griffith, a freshman from New Jersey, went 28-0 this season. 28-0. Best start in Stanford history. He was magnificent. Also won the Pac-12 championship uh, at the 165-pound uh, class. Yeah, so so difficult as a freshman to come in and do the things that Griffith was able to do. But Griffith came in, coming from a fantastic program uh, back in New Jersey and really just just really making an impact in a big time way with the Cardinal in his first year. And this is just the start for him. You know, wrestlers generally get a lot better and improve, uh, tend to improve as their careers go along. It was kind of cool to, to, to watch Shane work at the uh, Pac-12 Wrestling Championship a couple weeks ago held at Maples Pavilion, uh, Arizona State won the team title, congrats to them. But uh, Griffith uh, won the uh, individual uh, title at the 165-pound uh, weight class. Uh, it was fun. That was my first uh, chance to call call wrestling on, on any level. And as it stands as of right now, it's the most recent time I've strapped on a headset and done play-by-play -play for an event. But uh, Shane Griffith, terrific, terrific winter for him as uh, he was named uh, the Pac-12 Wrestler of the Year and Pac-12 Newcomer of the Year earlier on Thursday. 
Let's get to number three. Our third person to congratulate is Kyla Bryant from Stanford Women's Gymnastics. As, uh, she was named All-Pac-12 first team on the floor and on the all-around. The senior from Georgia. And I actually called the play-by-play for the gymnastics, uh, the, the uh, their Stanford's uh, final meet, uh, their home meet uh, against Arizona State uh, in early March. And the highlight, the exclamation point of the evening as uh, Stanford was just electric on the floor all night long, uh, was, was Kyle Bryant's routine, a 9.975, just oh so close to getting that perfect 10. But uh, her final routine on the floor at Maples Pavilion, that was certainly something special to watch. And, and, and not, quite the, not quite the season overall that Stanford Women's Gymnastics um, was, was looking for. They still finished number 26 in the country, but injuries helping to derail that. Where have you heard that story before when it comes to Stanford Athletics? Uh, but uh, Kyla Bryant, by far the most consistent performer and, uh, and, and, and an outstanding ambassador uh, for Stanford Women's Gymnastics and uh, Stanford University as well. So Lindy LaRock, Shane Griffith, and Kyla Bryant, we congratulate and salute uh, those folks as we do three things. Yeah, un- unfortunate, obviously, that... In particular, Shane Griffith and Kyla Bryant won't get a chance to put true exclamation points on their respective seasons. The spring seasons didn't really get a chance to get going, really, once they got started. Stanford baseball season truncated after just uh, 16 games and still a lot left on the plate and a lot that, you know, a few things that we got a chance to see early on. But by and large, it's going to be more about could have been's for the spring seasons, and for college baseball in particular. For more on Stanford baseball and college baseball as well, I don't think there's anybody better to chat with than perhaps the most respected voice in in, in all of college baseball right now. You see him all the time on ESPN and the SEC Network. And you might remember way back in the day, maybe I shouldn't say way back, but, you know, it was a long time ago, back in the mid-'90s when he was a two-time All-American and a two-time Pac-10 Pitcher of the Year. It's a real pleasure and a real honor to be joined right now by Kyle Peterson on the TreeCast. Kyle, appreciate the time. Thanks a bunch. How you doing today? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I didn't, I didn't need all of that intro, but I appreciate <laughs> it. No, it's, uh, it's a new environment for all of us, and I yeah. have now learned the, the ways of Zoom and exactly how well some of them, as, as my difficulty to get onto this would indicate. But, um, yeah, man, it's... Uh, we deal with what we can deal with, and we are where we are. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's becoming a new world as as we speak. And before everything kind of uh, kind of started to change, obviously uh, the college baseball season got going. We got some, uh, we got a couple weeks in, a few weeks in. Stanford was able to play uh, sixteen games. Um, what were some of the things that that you were noticing early in in the college baseball season, and what were what were some of the things that you were looking forward to watching in, in the college baseball season that could have been? I think the the most challenging thing, I wouldn't say most, there's a ton of challenging things in this, but um, one of the most disheartening things is from a, a high-end talent standpoint, just across the country within college baseball, I don't think it's ever been better than it was this year. And, and if we have a draft and, and hopefully the, the, the news that we've seen today and, and what we've heard, it sounds like we will have a draft, but I think you'll see – just how evident that is at the top end of, of the draft. 
but I've never seen it so deep and I've never seen it so deep, particularly just among pitchers across the country. So I was two weeks ago today, you know, we don't do a lot of games. In fact, we do very few games until you get into to March Madness. And so I was on a plane to go down and, and I was going to see Florida practice at two and Georgia was going to practice at six. And then we had Florida, Georgia over the course of the weekend. And it was one versus two. And Emerson Hancock from Georgia's got a chance to go top five overall. Florida's loaded again. And by the end of that day, I was back on a plane going to Omaha. I got halfway there. I got to Atlanta. And by the time I went to bed that night, there was no College World Series. And so literally I woke up that morning thinking I'm going to see two teams practice this afternoon and, and one hell of a game tomorrow night. Uh, and by the end of the day, I wasn't going to see any baseball the whole year. So it was, it was one of the most surreal deals days that I've ever had. Um, and just to sit in an airport that day and see the way that people were reacting. I mean, that's when all the, the conference basketball tournaments got canceled and, and Creighton and I'm Omaha still home to me and Creighton's coach is a buddy of mine. And, Creighton's the only game in the country going on. They were the first game at the Big East tournament, and they right. stopped it at halftime. It was such right. a, it was just such a strange and surreal sports day. And and then you you kind of deal with the reality from a sports standpoint the next day that, um, hey man, there's not going to be a season. And I don't know about you, but there's there's never been there's never been a a fear at all that we would ever go into a year and we wouldn't have baseball. And the reality, at least on the college side, is that's, that's what we're dealing with this year. Yeah, and, and, and this could obviously – it obviously, obviously is going to spill into uh, the summer and, and have some ramifications there. And I'll definitely get your thoughts on that uh, a bit later on uh, in the chat. Uh, as mentioned, Stanford did get 16 games in. Unfortunately, a, a pretty tough 16 games for them. They started yeah. off 5-11, and 11, uh, just youth all over the place. Uh, when they could put to uh, when the, when they could put it all together, they won. When they weren't able to field well and pitch well, then things kind of kind of went to went to pot form. But just such such a such a young young super young squad. Uh, what were your initial impressions? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you keep an eye on the Cardinals still even now. Oh, yeah. uh, what, what were your some of, some of your initial impressions of of what you had seen, what you'd sense from Stanford uh, in, in 2020? Well, just in, in talking to <clears throat> to Dave Esker going into the season, I mean, he knew that they were going to be really young, and, and I think he knew that, that this year would be a challenge, but ultimately the challenges that would come out of this year were only going to benefit him over the next few years. And as is always the case there, you know, you, you don't exactly – you don't limp into to whatever your conference schedule is. And so they were, they were playing some of the best teams in the country right off the gate, and, and clearly when you got a young team, defensively, which is always, I think, kind of been a stalwart there as far as I can remember back. I know they had some defensive challenges. And when you're young and you, you're not a great great defensive team, at least on paper so far, uh, and then you lose an arm or two, yeah. it just it, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't work. Um, so it, it was – I don't think that it was a massive surprise that they were going to struggle some. I mean, maybe the overall number was, was a little bit of a surprise. But the reality is he was dealing with young – with – with a lot of kids that hadn't been in situations they were asked to be in. And then clearly with some injuries, they were going to have to force even more kids into situations that, that they weren't ready for. Um, so I, I, you know, obviously everybody wanted to play the season. And I think Dave, especially just to, to get those guys more reps before you go into next year, hopefully we have a summer season and they can get out there and play somewhere and the draft eligible guys still have a chance to go through a draft. Yeah, Cardinal would have been playing Arizona State, uh, hosting the Sun Devils uh, at, at Sunken Diamond this weekend, and that would have been a big measuring stick uh, series for, yeah. for Stanford, especially at this point um, in the season. And I, I feel kind of weird, you know, I, I mentioned this last week, 
And I, I, you know, with, with all the youth on the squad and with how things seem to be going and losing Alex Williams uh, to, to an injury as well as he was pitching so well, but, yeah. but it would have been great to, to see what he could have done uh, in, in, in 2020 as well. Weren't going to be able to see that. And I felt kind of weird for, for suggesting this, but I, I kind of part of me thought that maybe, maybe it was a little beneficial for, for Stanford, maybe to have this little break here. Obviously you'd rather compete. Obviously you'd rather, you'd rather see if this team can improve. And I think they would have been able to improve in, in some facets, but, but is, is in some weird kind of way, is this break maybe a bit beneficial for Stanford baseball at this point? You know, I don't know. I think that in any situation, you got to try to find a, a realistic positive out of it. And, and maybe that is one here. I, I think the, you know, the counter argument could be that ultimately, even if you're getting beat, um, you're really going to learn the most when you're on the field. Yep. And I think that's always the biggest challenge when you're dealing with, with new kids, regardless of how the fall is when, when you've got somebody with a different colored uniform on the other side, that's, that's when you really know what happens when the lights come on at seven. And so I don't think there's any way, I don't think there's any way to, to replicate reps to get out there and, and play in a game like situation. So, um, you know, would it have been a tough year? Yeah, I think it's unrealistic to say that, that it wouldn't have been a difficult year if you play all 56 of them. Uh, but I do think that there would have been some significant and needed growth that comes out of that that would have only benefited them down the road. You just hope that, again, these kids can get some actual game reps in sometime this summer. And then obviously we'll see what changes come with fall baseball. I would love if the NCAA would give some more leniency and they'd be able to play some fall games and they don't have to count. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, we don't, I don't know that we need to have a, you know, a 20 game fall season or something that looks a little bit different, but I think the ability to go compete against some other teams in the fall will is a, a realistic reaction to, uh, to essentially cancel in three quarters of the season, the postseason, And I would hope that that's looked at and all the discussions that are going on right now. You're originally from Omaha. You live in Omaha now. You're based in Omaha. And obviously Omaha is, is the capital of college baseball, the College World Series. Um, such, such a magnificent event. Obviously, it's something that, that, that is near and dear to your heart. And we won't have it this June. It's going yeah. to be extremely tough to, tough to think about. And I'd imagine doubly so for you. What's, what's it going to be like in Omaha this June without a College World Series? Man, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's you got to realize that from an Omaha economic standpoint, there's we took five hits. So College World Series, obviously, the Olympic swim trials, which thankfully now it looks like they'll just get pushed back here. But the Olympic swim trials are a massive deal and have been every four years for the last well four cycles through the Olympics. The Berkshire Hathaway event is a massive event that brings people in from all around the world. Um, there's two huge youth events that surround the College World Series every year that ultimately bring four or 500 teams from around the country uh, and kids that, that, that get a chance to experience the College World Series that otherwise wouldn't have. And then the draft. I mean, the Major League Draft was supposed to be in Omaha this year for the first time and really be a lead-in to what, uh, to what the College World Series it, it, itself was. So you, you combine all those things. And, you know, i got buddies in all restaurants downtown and um, – have businesses that are based downtown and, and really rely on that type of income because it's so micro based. I mean, it's based on two weeks, three weeks at a time that make or break your entire year. So there's a ton of different facets to this thing, man. And, and the, the general idea that had never entered my mind 
that we wouldn't have a college world series just has so many different ripple effects aside from the three or four hours that the games are actually taking place in the field. Yeah. Yeah. I'm from Oklahoma city, Midwest city. Actually yeah. I went to the same high school as, as AJ Hinch. We went to high yeah. school together and that's the home of the softball world series. And right. I'm sure that they're going through some of the exact same things uh, that Omaha is going through uh, right now. Um, let's take it back to the mid nineties. As, as mentioned, uh, you, you helped lead uh, Stanford to two uh, college world series appearances in 1995 and in 1997 won a couple of uh, pac 10 picture uh, picture of the year awards uh, along the way. When, when you think of back and think back on your time uh, as, as, as a member of the Stanford Cardinal, what, what sort of things pop out at you? What sort of, what sort of memories uh, have, have you taken with you as, uh, as you get deeper and deeper and further and further away as we all do from the collegiate experience? Yeah. You know, the, the one thing, if there's, and there has to be some positives that we glean out of this time, but it gives us all more time. And <laughs> last weekend, some of that time was spent um, cleaning out storage rooms and going through stuff that I hadn't looked at in years. And a lot of that stuff was back to those years. And my parents keep everything. Uh, I can promise you that I have audio tapes of you calling our games because I ran across a massive rack of them (laughs) over the course of the weekend. And it was all the newspaper stories and the the memories that start flowing back and the pictures that you haven't seen. And um, it really... I hadn't thought about it all that much until I got through it. And, and then you start reading some of them and it takes you back to that time. There was a picture that ran in the Omaha paper of us dogpiling in, uh, in Wichita in 95, my freshman year, after we came back and, and we had to come back through the loser's bracket and beat Texas Tech to go to Omaha my freshman year. Um, there was a picture that I had never seen, at least I couldn't remember, that was after the final out of the 97 regional that was at Stanford of me and Schaefer jumping into each other's arms halfway between the mound and home plate. Um, and immediately it takes you back to that. And I called Chafe that night because I hadn't talked to him in a few months just to check in and see how he was doing. So it's the memories that come out of it. I mean, clearly the game component is, is a big part of it, but it's, it's what it took to get there. Um, it was the reaction that I saw from my family and my friends. And, you know, I had, we played our high school state tournament at Rosenblatt. So I had played on the field, but, and the year before, we had got beat in the high school semifinals. I got beat in the high school semifinals. And then the next year, we're, we're pitching against Clemson, trying to stay alive in the College World Series in 95. So it just – it was all of that stuff that comes flooding back. And it's amazing what a few pictures can do um, because the memory comes back so clear. And just the sounds and what people were saying at that time. Uh, they're, they're great memories, man. And, and um, I – you know, I had hoped that it wasn't something you always hope that it's not a negative that takes you back to times like that. But uh, it still was pretty darn cool to think about. Yeah, it really was. And what a fantastic, uh, what a fantastic time and fantastic era it was uh, for Pac-10 baseball back then. Of course, it yeah. was back in the, the six-pack and the Norpac days. Uh, Arizona State was always so tough. Uh, Arizona, uh, you never knew what they were gonna what they were gonna bring. USC was always tough. But man, those UCLA teams back in the day. Yeah. You know, Troy Gloss. Eric Burns, I hated him, but I loved watching him play. Yeah. You came up against some great players uh, back in those days that you had to deal with and, and, and had some pretty good success against. Gloss, Burns, Valent, Jeff oh. Jenkins, Jock Jones. <laughs> um, God, I, I, I'm leaving way too many of them out right now. But um, it was funny. I haven't, I haven't talked to Burnsy in, I don't know, maybe a month or two. But 
Eric was that guy, and he and I have talked about this, and I, I think I was kind of the same way for him, that it's a guy that you hate when you're playing against, but you'd love to play with. Yep. And those are the ones that when you get done, I think you end up respecting the most. And I never got a chance to, to actually play with Bernsey, but I did get a chance to broadcast with him years ago. And it was some of the most fun that I've ever had sitting in a broadcast <laughs> booth, in part because you never had any idea what was going to happen next. But um, he was the ultimate competitor. And if you follow him now, he still is. I mean, you know, he whatever it was last year in Half Moon Bay, he sets the all-time record for the most holes played in 24 hours in golf. And he's running Ironmans and he's jumping off his roof into snow piles. And it just like nothing has changed. And we saw him a few years ago. It was at a, a tailgate for a Stanford football game. And he was out there. Um, Chad Hutchinson showed up. There was a lot of other guys that were around. I got a chance to meet his kids. And they, uh, his son, I can tell you this, is, is going to be the next Derek Burns when it comes to the way that, that he operates when it's on a field. Now he's coaching his team. And so you can see that stuff the memories of those guys and, and, you know, you never understand it when you're in that environment. I've told this story to a lot of people and, and more recently, like my freshman year and you experienced all this, you know, Tiger was a freshman. Um, and at the time you don't realize what you're surrounded by. And I, I don't think the time that we were at Stanford, we really, you can fully appreciate what you're surrounded by and ultimately how it's going to impact the world moving forward. Um, but I definitely didn't understand the players that I was competing against and the players that I was, I was surrounded by at that time. And uh, I sure do now because it was, it was a pretty cool time to be playing in that league and to be playing the game. Well, and, and certainly I think your competitive nature uh, really helped you uh, stand out along the way. I will always remember your demeanor on the mound. Take me through your, your, your mental and your psychological preparation that you took with you uh, onto the mound. Um. I'm not, I'd like to think that in life, I'm a fairly patient person and, and, and really pretty laid back. And that didn't work for me when I played, <clears throat> I had to get as mad as I possibly could before games. And, and it's a little bit out of character, but ultimately it, 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 it's where I had to be. And I, I don't know when I realized that, or if I even realized it, but I knew that when I when I focused the most is when that would take place. And, and so for that time frame, whenever it was, I was not a pleasant human to be around. And a lot of times it started at the beginning of the day and it didn't end until, until the game was over. And then after that, I, I hopefully could go back to a fairly normal personality, but um, I, I had to operate that way. Other people can operate very differently, but if I wasn't mad and, and I had to find something to be mad at, and it may be, somebody on the other team or whatever. Um, and I heard everything and I'm not sure that that was necessarily a good thing either. And, and as we all know, in college, the dugouts can get pretty chirpy and I loved it. I love going on the road. Um, I, I love going on the road into environments that, that people would get on you and other teams would, would chirp because I think one of the greatest things that I miss the most is just competing. And it didn't mean you're going to win all the time. But the, the opportunity to be out there and compete against somebody else um, and against, at the time, some of the best in the entire country. So I, I, everybody's got a different way of doing it. For whatever reason, that, that was the way that I had to. Well, you're, you're in your last game in a Stanford uniform, I'll, I'll never forget this, 1997 College World Series against that, that LSU squad that was just a murderer's row from top to yeah. bottom. I think all their dudes had like at least 30 home runs, it seemed, uh, yeah. from the top to bottom of their lineup. But 
you know, if I remember right, you came in in relief in the fourth inning or so and, and went for much of the rest of the way at the very least. Uh, Stanford was able to come back, make a game, but the LSU eventually went out to a 13 to 9 win and advanced uh, to the uh, LSU uh, or at least advanced to the, to the championship uh, that year. But I, in some ways, I, I kind of think, you know, think about it now. You were Madison Bumgarner in a sense before Madison Bumgarner. What he did in Game Seven of the World Series a few years ago. What, what do you remember about about that game in particular and about that what? that experience in nineteen in, in ninety seven College World Series? One of the differences, Madison won. True, and yeah. I didn't. So there was a, there was a different outcome. But I vividly remember being in the bullpen, uh, and the bullpens were on the field at that time. They were down. The, we were in the in the uh, first base dugout and they were down the right field line. And I hadn't had that feeling. I mean, I think in my entire collegiate career, I think I had only come out of the bullpen two other times and I hadn't done it in a few years, but I, I remember hitting nine and, and whoever would listen to me, coach Dunton starts before the game saying, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. And, you know, I had my spikes on at nine in the morning um, just because it's, the draft had already happened. I mean, I got drafted on the field when we were playing Auburn. Uh, I believe it was the game before that. And yep. so I knew there was a pretty good chance that I wasn't coming back. And so I also knew that <clears throat> when you get into that loser's bracket, obviously, that um, may be the last time you ever put the uniform on, that uniform. And so um, the outcome wasn't exactly what I wanted. But the, 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 in that bullpen, I felt like, I felt like I was thrown as hard as I ever thrown in my life. I felt like I was – the mentality when you come out of the bullpen sometimes is so different than when you start a game because the bell rings and you got to go. You don't necessarily know exactly when the bell's going to ring. Um, and, you know, I, I know that, that if I go back and look at the numbers, and I can't remember sp specifically, but I know they weren't exactly great. Um, but I'll never forget the moment. And I'll never forget the moment in right field after the game when we got beat. And Coach Dunton brought all the pitching staff together as he did after every game. Um, and I lost it. I absolutely broke down on the field at Rosenblatt because I knew that was it. And I mean, my pro career was, was nothing to write home about, <clears throat> but even if it had been, nothing could recreate those three years. It just couldn't because um, especially in the minor leagues. And when I got to Milwaukee, you know, I wasn't there very long, but we, we weren't great. But in college, you, you, you play for one thing. And, yeah, I mean, you want to be the guy that's out there. But there's just a – and I think this is true at most places, but I know it was true at our place. It was such a, uh, it was such a unified goal, and, and you did whatever you needed to do to win. And when the reality hits that you're not going to get a chance to do that anymore and there's not a damn thing you can do about it, it sucks. It's a life reality. It's a sports reality. They take the jersey away from you at some point. You just hope it's as long as – as it can possibly be. But that day, warming up in the bullpen, the feeling on the mound, and ultimately what it was like after the game in right field, I'll never, ever forget. And I don't want to forget them. Um, I'll never forget what that felt like. Yeah, the, the, the finality is, is, is part of what, yeah. uh, what makes college baseball uh, so, so special and college sports so special uh, as a whole. And obviously, you, you still follow it with your work uh, with ESPN over the years. Uh, you're also the president and CEO of Colliers International based in Omaha. What are some things that, uh, you know, that, that, that sounds, those sound like two pretty uh, all-involving jobs, especially, well, normally <laughs> this time of year. You know, what, what's it like kind of balancing both of those things? Well, it's a little different this year. Oh, yeah, sure. That's for sure. But <laughs> um, 
It's always been. I mean, since I started in the real estate business here, I think 14 years ago. And, and so during the course of that, I've, I've always been doing games um, and then took over in a, in a leadership role in the company about six years ago. So it's been different since then. I can be honest with you, the first year wasn't very good here. And it's not our numbers. It was just um, stuff that I didn't know. Uh, I was reacting to things instead of having discussions ahead of time. And, and I'll never forget the, the gal who our, was our CFO and still is our CFO just pulled me aside one day, and, and it was probably in May. So the season had been going on for a month and a half, two months. And, and she said, you know, this isn't working very well. And we got to figure out some way that we're communicating more and that there's weekly meetings and something because we understand what your reality is. But, but honestly, we've never dealt with anything like this. And it was a great learning experience. And, and we've adjusted. There's, I got wonderful people around me that, um, that run different parts of the business and, and it's worked. It's just a different, it's a different pace. Um, and it does make you appreciate times like this a lot more when to, you know, to some extent I'm, I'm here every day and can react to things a little bit differently. Um, I still miss the, the, the baseball season like crazy. And I, I can't wait to actually have a reason to go to a field, but the balance is, is an interesting balance. We launched D one baseball.com about five years ago in its current form. And mm-hmm. um, that's been fun in seeing the growth of that all the way through and watching Kendall and Aaron really take it and run with it. So I, I, I don't know, man, I, I'd, I'd be bored if it was only one thing. And it doesn't mean that I can do three or four of them all that well, but it is, it is fun trying to juggle them. Yeah, yeah, and, and props to D1 Baseball. They've, been, uh, they've done absolutely terrific stuff and uh, keeping everybody up, up to speed on things, especially now uh, that we're dealing with the things that we're dealing with. Uh, now, of course, obviously, you get a chance to see college baseball nationwide. And look, I, I love Sunken Diamond. I'm sure you love it, too, when the place is packed and when the, when the, when the, when the games were ha- having half, uh, have high stakes. Uh, there are a few better places to be. However, completely different environments, I'd imagine, um, in the Big 12 and, and certainly in the SEC. Uh, yeah. What are some of the rowdiest spots in, in the SEC and, and around college baseball that you've, that you've had a chance to experience the sport in? Well, Stanford got to see one of them last year. In uh, in yep. Starkville, and mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite environments, especially now. The new ballpark is is obscene. I mean, it's you know, there's twelve condos out in left field that look directly over it. There's grills and smoke going up the entire game, and it's just it's it's so uniquely college, um, and it's in an environment to where the, there's there's great collegiate baseball history, and and the people are massive college baseball fans. I, I this doesn't happen to me very much, but it did here a few months ago. Chris Burke and I were down in Starkville doing some preseason stuff. And we got in, I don't know, it was probably 9 o'clock at night. We were doing stuff the next day, and Mississippi State was playing Kentucky and basketball at Kentucky. So we just went and found a place we could eat, sit at the bar, and, and there wasn't hardly anybody in there. And there's six or seven college kids. We don't really they, – they're walking behind us. And the next thing I know, they come walking into the bar, and they're like, hey – uh, are you guys down here to, to do some college baseball stuff? And we're like, well, yeah. And they actually recognized us sitting there. And they, I think they could only see our backs when they went by. Um, and they were just talking about how excited they were for the college baseball season. Hmm. There's areas of the country, um, and it's not right or wrong. It's just a it's just a, a athletic reality that college baseball just resonates more for whatever reason. And the SEC is one of those areas. If you go to Starkville or you go to Oxford, 
uh, you know, Florida's building a $65 million stadium right now. Clearly, LSU is one that, that um, stood above everybody else for a long time, and I think a lot of people are catching up to them. Vanderbilt, you know, what Corvus has been able to do, but what their environment is. There's some really cool environments that we go to. Texas A&M, um, you know, Alabama's got a brand new stadium. Auburn's got a cool site. I, I, Kentucky built a $60 million stadium. It's, it's laughable to some extent, because when you think back of when we were involved in it, I mean, the idea of somebody building, I understand it was 25 years ago almost, but the idea of that amount of money being pumped into the college game was, I mean, it was unfathomable. We would have never thought about it. Um, but if you see that environment that Stanford and Mississippi State played in last year in Starkville, you realize just how rare an environment it is. And it's awesome for our game. And I was excited for Stanford to get down there and experience it because I love the West Coast environments. Believe me, I love them. Mm-hmm. But it is it is a very different feel. Mm-hmm. It is a very different feel if you go play at Evans Diamond um, than if you go play at Starkville on a Friday night and there's 12,000 there. And I think both are really healthy for our sport. But uh, I, I think if you get an experience to – or if you get the ability to experience both, man, it really gives you a, a great look at what this game looks like across the country. All right, as we wrap this up here, uh, obviously there, there's a lot on college baseball's plate. Um, we don't know when things are going to be able to get back to some resemble, resemblance of, of, of normalcy or anything like that. But, but there's obviously going to be a lot on college baseball's plate when that becomes uh, – when it gets to be back on the table here, eligibility, uh, scholarship availability, you know, the draft. We talked about – you hinted at that a little bit. What, what are some things that, that are on the table – on the plate for college baseball once everything once once the green light is 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 put out there to okay all right we can come back and start thinking about 2021 now yeah i i think the next week is going to be formative in all of that so major league baseball and the players association it sounds like are close to an agreement as to when the draft will be uh, there was some discussion if the draft will be but i think they're past that so when the draft will be um how many rounds it's going to be and then ultimately what it looks like for, for 2021, I think, for the draft as well. From a college baseball standpoint, we got to understand that first. And I think to make any decisions in advance of the draft is really – it's just it's, – it's shooting into thin air because you don't know. The draft is so important. Um, and really, college baseball is the only sport that is that way. College football is not that way. If you go into the draft, you're not coming back. College basketball, you go into the draft, you're not coming back. Baseball's different. And I think the – we're going to need some flexibility because let's just throw a date out there and say that, that the draft is July 15th. Well, July 15th was a signing date before. And now that signing date's going to get pushed back into, I would assume, early to mid-August at the absolute earliest. Well, for a lot of schools, not Stanford, but for a lot of schools across the country, that's when school starts. And that's when you have to determine exactly what your roster is going to look like. Hopefully they give everybody a year's worth of eligibility back if you were at the college level, clearly that's going to create some roster challenges. So if we could take the rosters from 35 up to call it 42 to 45, just for a year and let some of this cleanse its way through the system. And maybe you, you scale it down the following year a little bit. Um, and then give some, give some scholarship flexibility for a year or two, because everybody's dealing with a giant unknown right now. And you're still going to with what I think is a lock to be an abbreviated draft so those that work their way through the system and get into professional baseball, there's not going to be as many that do it this year. And, and I think it's only right to give college baseball some more flexibility when it comes to, to rules and scholarships. Wouldn't surprise me if some guys have the ability to transfer that didn't before. And then let's see what this looks like once we get through next season and we've got more of a, a normalized draft process. But um, to not make any changes 
I think it would be a huge oversight. Um, and honestly, you know, it'd be, it'd be disappointing for those guys that thought they were going to come back and have another chance to play to have it taken away 16 games into the season. So hopefully that happens. The vote as of now is scheduled to take place on Monday. And I would think by this time next week, we get a pretty decent idea what that flexibility is going to look like. Well, a lot of, uh, a lot of unknowns and a lot yep. of uh, things that are still left to be sorted out. But so once everything gets, gets back on track, I know Kyle Peterson's going to be right there every step of the way following uh, college baseball, and I can't wait until that happens again. Kyle, really appreciate you taking the time out. Really enjoyed the chat, and uh, good luck. Stay healthy, man, back in Omaha. That goes both ways, man. We'll get through this thing, and before long, we'll be talking about baseball again. Yeah, here, here on that. Kyle, thanks a bunch. Uh, fantastic stuff with uh, with Kyle Peterson there. Loved watching him pitch back in the day, and uh, I, I love listening to him and love watching him uh, whenever he's talking ball uh, on ESPN, which during normal times is quite often. By the way, not for nothing, Kyle Peterson, part of an impressive group of Stanford crads uh, doing big things in uh, broadcasting baseball. Of course, Dave Fleming needs no introduction. Uh, his brother Will, uh, now at the Boston Red Sox, uh, Dave Raymond with the Texas Rangers, my man Chris Atterbury with the Minnesota Twins, Jessica Mendoza, uh, obviously do, uh, doing uh, terrific things um, as well. So, uh, and you got folks like me holding up the rear. So, uh, <laughs> good to see you, uh, Kyle, uh, doing uh, fantastic things uh, on camera and off as well. Meanwhile, there's so much that college baseball is going to have to be dealing with once we get a sense of when things are going to be able to point towards being able to play once again. And, you know, scholarship availability, that's, that's obviously, you know, there aren't too many scholarships available in college baseball to begin with. How much more difficult does it get if everybody gets an extra year of eligibility or if just the seniors get an extra year of eligibility? Um, looks like the draft, the, uh, the MLB draft, is on at this point. Uh, as, as I say this right now on early, early Thursday afternoon. Uh, but that's going to have a bit of an impact uh, if, if that doesn't quite happen that way. So, man, there are just, just so many things that are up in the air. So many, and so many contingency plans that have to, be, have to be taken into account. Not just with baseball, obviously, but, but with all the other collegiate sports right now. I saw a tweet from uh, Ralph Russo. Uh, a college sports writer for the Associated Press earlier today. He said he was talking to a, an athletic director, and he's having his staff, you know, prepare contingency plans for what happens if there's just a 10-game college football season. You know, if his school, you know, if, if, if that athletic director's school loses one or two home games. You know, these are things that, that have to be put on the table, and a lot of, a lot of difficult decisions are, are, are going to be placed before administrators for the foreseeable future. Of course, many of those decisions can't be made until <laughs> things uh, get tightened up as far as the uh, country's uh, public health situation is concerned. But um, unprecedented times, and uh, there, there are going to be many, many decisions, difficult decisions, tough decisions, um, that, that are going to have to be made on the school level, on the conference level, and on the, uh, on the NCAA level as well. That'll wrap it up for this edition of the TreeCast. Of course, you've got thoughts 
I always welcome them. You know I try to make these programs as interactive as I possibly can be. You got ideas for content? I am all ears, especially now. Uh, hit me up on Twitter, hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast, uh, the best way to get your thoughts to me on uh, anything that's on your mind. Give me the follow, at Troy Clarity. Also, give Kyle Peterson a follow as well on Twitter, at KP underscore Omaha. <laughs> Watching that guy and remembering him and being with the team, the Stanford baseball team at the 97 College World Series, they, my, my God, Kyle Peterson was like the mayor of Omaha back then. <laughs> I can only imagine what it's like for him in that town now. But our thanks again to Kyle for joining us on this week's show. We'll try to come at you at least once a week in the weeks ahead. As usual, don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. But above all, stay healthy. Make sure you're doing what you can to make sure that others stay healthy as well. Thanks for checking us out on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money.